0: amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Good morning to our viewers online as well. We are continuing our message series, Tough Questions, this morning. Um, You may not know this, maybe you do, uh, but this series, Tough Questions, is a community-wide effort, Uh, meaning there are like 11 other churches uh, in Fergus Falls Um, who are also doing this series. You can see a list of those churches uh, by going to the website toughquestionsff.com. I think they're going to put... Yeah, there it is. Um, They're all doing it as a four-week series that started last week. Um, I'm a bit of an overachiever, so we started two weeks early, and we're doing it as a six-week series. Um, But I just wanted you to know that uh, these other pastors and I um, have been meeting for months, and um, we've been praying that God would use this uh, to reach people who uh, currently aren't following Jesus. So, uh, so our question today that we are tackling is: How can Jesus be the only way to God? What about the other religions? Um, Jesus often surprised people with his teachings. The first will be last. The meek will inherit the earth. Uh, rejoice in persecution. Pray for your enemies. Uh, it's better to give than to receive. Uh, turn the other cheek. Uh, lose your life in order to save it. But probably the most challenging thing that Jesus ever said is in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's been called narrow-minded. It's been called bigoted. It's been called exclusivist. Um, When we make such exclusive claims, uh, it is very easy to offend people. Uh, Many people of other faiths recognize Jesus as a great teacher, as a prophet, um, as a leader, as a reformer, um, as perhaps one way to God. But are we being arrogant, um, intolerant, narrow-minded by suggesting that he is the only way? Uh, The multi-faith, pluralistic society that we live in Uh, knows no greater offense than Christian exclusivism. Um, In this society we live in, um, one of our highest values is tolerance. Um, And insisting that Jesus is the only way to salvation is to commit the worst sin one can commit in this society, of being intolerant, For one thing, this kind of uh, exclusivity assumes uh, the existence of absolute truth um, and that we Christians lay claim to that absolute truth. Um, When we do that, when we say that Jesus is the only way, we are now delegitimizing every other claim to truth that is out there. Um, Meaning, if I'm right, that Jesus is the only way, Um, then that means all the rest of you, like if the stats are right, billions of people are wrong. Part of the problem, too, uh, is the postmodern mindset. Um, It's a mindset that believes that absolute truth doesn't exist. Uh, Rather, truth is defined by the individual. So we, we went from a modern mindset where truth was absolute, to a postmodern mindset where truth was relative. Um, it was defined by the individual. So, in a postmodern mindset, truth is seen through the lens of each person's personal perspective, like through their culture, through their race, their gender, through every personal characteristic that can influence how they perceive truth. And in the postmodern mindset, um, all viewpoints are equally valid even if they contradict one another. The way I like to describe this mindset is this. Um, I could spend two hours uh, with such a person laying out a logical, biblical, well-thought-through, apologetic of Christianity, meaning like a clear explanation of the gospel and a biblical worldview. And at the end of it, the person says, you know, That's what works for you, but this is what works for me. You ever had this kind of conversation? Truth in the postmodern mindset is relative, right? It's defined by what works for them, um, not by any objective truth that applies to everyone. You have your truth, and I have my truth. So on one level, like that attitude can be helpful. Um, As Christians, it is important that we show uh, love to people who think differently than we do, um, who believe differently than we do, and dare I say it, who vote differently than we do. Right? The Bible does tell us that um, those of us who are followers of Jesus uh, need to be humble, we're supposed to be loving and respectful towards people. But where we start blurring the lines is here. Here. Um, under our Constitution, all religious viewpoints are equally protected. Okay? Anybody can believe whatever they want. Um, but the problem is that some people jump to a faulty conclusion that because different religions are equally protected, they must all be equally valid. And that's not the case. So even though all religions are equally protected under our constitution, this has nothing to do whatsoever with whether or not they're actually true. Um, you've, heard, you've probably heard people say, um, there are some differences between the various world religions, but if you strip them down to their essentials, they're all basically just teaching the same thing. Maybe you've heard that. Or another way to look at it is that um, all religions are leading up the same mountain to God. Um, They just take different paths. There are things that are in uh, in common between the world's religions. And when we're dialoguing with people who follow said religions, um, those are great starting points in our conversations. Um, But there are significant differences between the world's religions as well. Um, In fact, Jesus saying... That he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him um, is a pretty bold claim of exclusivity. Um, It makes it impossible, really, for Christianity to be reconciled with any other religion. Um, The leaders of other religions essentially say, Follow me, and I'll show you how to find the truth. But Jesus says, I am the truth. Um, Other religious leaders say, follow me, and I'll show you the way to salvation. And Jesus says, I am the way to eternal life. Other religious leaders say, follow me, and I'll show you how you can become enlightened. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You see the difference? So I don't think it's oversimplifying to say that every other religion, in some form or fashion... Is based on people doing things, right? Whether it's performing a certain number of good deeds, or praying certain prayers, um, or taking pilgrimages, um, either an attempt to earn the favor and acceptance of God, or a pantheon of gods, um, or in some religions, uh, this journey to make things right can extend into multiple lifetimes. Right, through a cycle of many reincarnations. So in every case, in these other religions, uh, the onus is on us. Right? We need to get our act in order. Uh, we need to earn our way back into the good graces of the deity we're following. But here's the difference with Christianity. Jesus Christ is God reaching out to us. Jesus taught the opposite of what these other faiths teach. He said that nobody could fix the problem of sin, right? They can't do anything to fix that problem. He said that we are all guilty of wrongdoing. Um, Jesus also said that our sin separates us from God because God is holy and he's perfect, And because God is a righteous judge who, by his very nature, has to judge wrongdoing, our wrongdoing has to be judged. It has to be paid for. But out of his great love for us, God sent his son, Jesus, to pay that price himself. Jesus voluntarily offered himself as our substitute to pay the penalty that we owe because of our wrongdoing. And when we we receive his sacrifice on our behalf and we confess him as Lord and Savior, we are saved. That's that's what we preached uh, on this past summer when we went through the book of Galatians. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Not Jesus plus my good works, not Jesus plus my good behavior, but Jesus plus nothing. Grace becomes the defining difference that separates Christianity from all of the world's religions. And grace is very different from justice, right? It's even very different from mercy. Um, Justice is getting what I deserve, right? I deserve something, I get it, right? Justice is getting what I deserve. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. Right? I deserve this bad thing, and then I'm shown mercy, and I don't get it. Right? But grace, grace is getting what I don't deserve. It's getting what I don't deserve. And that is the good news of the gospel. It's all grace. Okay? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So grace is the foremost difference between Christianity and all the other world's religions. There are other differences. So for instance, Christianity says that there's one eternal God who created the universe. Um, but Hinduism says that everything and everyone is God and is a part of God, right? Islam recognizes Jesus uh, as a prophet, but denies that Jesus was the son of God uh, and denies that Jesus died for our sins. Um, some Muslims believe that Jesus wasn't crucified, but his body was just raised up to heaven with God. Other Muslims believe that Jesus was crucified, but he survived the crucifixion. He was taken off the cross alive. He continued to preach until he died of a natural death. So all religions are not the same. Only Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, is qualified to offer himself as payment for our wrongdoing. No other religious leader did that. The pastor R.C. Sproul said it this way. He said, Moses could mediate the law. Mohammed could brandish a sword. Buddha could give personal counsel. Confucius could offer wise sayings. But none of these men was qualified to offer atonement for the sins of the world. Christ alone is worthy of unlimited devotion and service. He alone is able to redeem, he alone is worthy of worship. So when we say Jesus is the only way, um, we can come across as arrogant, as narrow-minded. If there are many roads to God, and we Christians are saying ours is the best, um, I would agree that we're being narrow and arrogant. Um, But that is not what Christians are saying. We are saying... That somebody's got to pay the penalty for the obvious wrongdoings that keep us separated from God. By virtue of his sinlessness, by virtue of his divinity, Jesus is the only one qualified to serve as that substitute. That is the reality of the situation. So a little story to illustrate what I mean. So when my mother uh, was in her late teens, she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um, There was no getting around it, right? She had to learn how to check her blood sugars. She had to start taking insulin shots. Um, She had to start changing her diet. Now, after receiving her diagnosis, uh, my mother could have told the doctor, no, I'm not going to do all that. Um, she could have listened to the doctor and said, what if I just ignore this and pretend everything's okay? Like, I don't, I don't need insulin shots. Um, the Diabetes is your truth, doc. It's not my truth. right? If I sincerely believe that, it'll turn out okay. Right? The doctor would probably say, uh, you're going to seriously jeopardize your life like if you do that. There is only one way to deal with this, um, and it's with insulin, so checking your blood sugars, with changing your diet. So would anyone accuse my mother of being narrow-minded if she trusted that doctor and pursued the only course of treatment that was going to help her, right? Of course not. That's not being narrow-minded. That's being rational, right? So the truth is, every one of us has a terminal illness, and it's called sin, right? There's individual sin. I don't need to tell you about that, you know about that. There's corporate sin, like groups of people who collectively sin together. There is uh, systematic sin, like systemic sin, like sin built into systems itself, like think credit cards, title loans, pornography, right? Sin begins benignly, but then it grows and grows and grows into a horror show. Okay? The reason those of us who follow Jesus so, we, the reason we cling to him so tightly is because Jesus is the great physician, right? He is the only cure to our condition. Uh, we could try to cure uh, our sin ourselves, Right? Try to outweigh the bad we've done with more and more good deeds, but it won't work. Right? Only the great physician, Jesus Christ, offers a treatment that will erase the stain of sin. So when we turn to Jesus, uh, we're not being narrow-minded. We are simply being rational. Now, on a related note, uh, I'll say that us Christians can come across as arrogant, um, as snobbish, as holier than thou. Um, And we shouldn't, right? I said we should come across as humble and gracious and loving. But to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way is an entirely different thing. Let me explain. So let's pretend that there are two country clubs, okay? The first country club only lets people in um, who've earned their membership, In order to get in this club, you have to have worked really hard um, to obtain superior wisdom. Um, You've got to fulfill a long list of demands, like doing lots and lots of good deeds. Um, you've got to somehow show that you've reached some higher level of spiritual advancement, right? It may be even that whatever you've done to achieve in one lifetime isn't enough, so, like, you've got to do it over and over again through, like, numerous cycles of reincarnation, right? That's a lot of work. So, inevitably, despite uh, their best efforts, uh, a lot of people won't make it into this club, right? The list of requirements to get in are quite high. In the end, for most of them, the door will just be slammed in their face. They're not going to be good enough. They are not going to check all the boxes they need to in order to get in. This is what other religions are saying um, when they teach that people have to try to uh, over and over, try and try and try to work their way to God. But Christianity is altogether different. Christianity is like the club uh, that, Im- that invites anyone who's interested because Jesus already paid for their membership. Uh, it doesn't matter if you have money. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't even matter, like, what horrible things you've done. Thief, liar, prostitute, drug addict, even murderer. The right? Bible's full of all kinds of people like that being included in the family of God. Right? doesn't matter. We'd love to include you. The doors are wide open. Why? Because entry is not based on your qualifications. Entry is only based on you accepting Jesus' invitation. The difference is grace. So that's the difference between these these two things. That's the difference uh, with Christianity. I want to address the question uh, as part of this of what happens to those who've not heard of Jesus. That's a tough one. Um, There are some who've argued that people who've never heard of Jesus uh, and therefore who've never believed in him, they've never chosen to follow him, will still be saved. Um, They believe that they'll still be saved because they've never been given the opportunity to hear the gospel presented, right? And so they shouldn't be held accountable for that. Um, My answer to that is this. As we look at scripture, we see that Christians um, have historically affirmed that apart from faith in Jesus, salvation is impossible. So here are a few examples. Um, first one is John three seventeen and 18. It says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. In Acts 17, uh, the Apostle Paul is in Athens, um, and he is talking to some very religious people. Um, Paul says in verse 22, men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. And he insists, though, that apart from repentance, they will not survive the final judgment. Um, Even these people who were really religious, and although they were very sincere in their religious commitments, even acknowledging like the true God, Paul tells them that their religion is wrong. Um, He says that they have to repent of it and they have to believe in Christ in order to be saved. So in Romans chapters 2 and 3, Paul's talking this time to Jews and he's telling them um, pretty much the same thing. He's saying like whatever special status they may have had As Jews, that doesn't matter. Um, They too have sinned, and so they need the forgiveness of their sin through faith in Jesus Christ. Christians since the time of Christ have always insisted that Jesus is the only way. Here are a few more examples from the New Testament. In Luke uh, 13, verses 3 through 5, um, Jesus says it twice, he insists twice. He says, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God, you will perish too. Then again, John 3.18. If anyone, anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Mark 16.6 says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts 16, uh, 29 through 30. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Here's a quote from the theologian J.I. Packer. He says, when Jesus and the apostles gave these warnings, were they just bluffing? Nope, they were not. So this is why outreach, this is why evangelism, this is why missions is such a big deal, right? It has been a big deal since the church's inception, Um, Truly, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, no one will be saved. Um, This belief, this absolute conviction um, is rooted in the beginning of all the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. The last thing Jesus said before he ascended, we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus claims to have all authority, and on this ground, he commands his church to go make disciples, right? It's pretty clear um, that apart from being a disciple of Jesus, there is no salvation, right? In our scripture today uh, that Mason read from Romans 10, uh, we clearly see that faith in Christ is essential for salvation, right? Romans 10, 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So the conclusion is simple. It's simple, but it's not easy. Um, If salvation is obtained only through faith in Jesus Christ, then if people are to be saved, the gospel has to be preached and it has to be believed. Right, Paul says in Colossians 1, 26 through 29, he says this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So let me ask a very blunt and very direct question. Um, Is it fair for God to send people to hell who've never even heard the gospel? Said this series was tough questions, might as well just ask them, right? So the question assumes that people who've never heard the gospel um, are innocent. It assumes that people are not condemned for other sins. Romans 3, 19 and 20 says, the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Romans 3, 23 to 26 says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his his sight when they believe in Jesus. So to ask, is it fair for God to send people to hell who've never even heard the gospel assumes that we're innocent um, and that we are being punished unjustly. It also assumes um, that there are some who have no knowledge of God. But Psalms 19, 1 through 4, says the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. And then Romans 10, 18 echoes this. It says, the message has gone throughout the earth and the words to all the world.
1: So think about this.
0: Um, If people who never hear of Christ are going to be allowed into heaven, then why would God have sent his son in the first place? If all religions, or having no faith at all, all lead to heaven then Christ died for nothing, If only people who reject Christ are going to hell, then then the Great Commission uh, was pretty cruel. Um, Better to not hear the gospel at all and go to heaven than to hear it and risk rejecting it, right? And if that's the case, then every church in the world, every missions agency um, in the world should just, like, close their doors so that this message of the gospel just eventually dies out. Um, then no one has to risk rejecting the gospel and then everyone will go to heaven. Um, but again, John says in John 3, 18, anyone who anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So is there any hope for those who've never heard of Jesus? Yes. This is precisely why outreach and evangelism and missions are absolutely essential and core to the mission of the church. Um, Matthew 24, 14 describes it perfectly. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. So that all nations will hear it, the, and then the end will come. So Jesus, the one who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth, has tasked us, right, his church, with making disciples. Right? This is our primary mission, making disciples. Corporately as a church, and individually as followers of Jesus Christ, to make more disciples. So the seminary I graduated from um, was not the first seminary I attended. Um, I actually attended a seminary up in Portland, Oregon um, before I attended the one I graduated from. Uh, I discovered after attending there for about a year um, that that seminary was a little too liberal theologically for me. Um, It all came to a head when I was sitting uh, in the last hour of the last day of a class on uh, what's called ecclesiology, which is the study of the church and the mission of the church, ecclesiology. So we had studied uh, in that class all kinds of what's called contextual theologies, liberation theology, feminist theology, like monastic traditions, all that kind of stuff, it was all interesting stuff. Um, But I'm sitting there in class, tearing up. Because we are sitting in one of the most secular cities in the nation. And not one mention has been made in this whole class, or in any of the books that we read for this class, that the primary mission of the church is the Great Commission. Um, Like, literally, we're sitting in Portland, Oregon, and there are millions of people around us who aren't following Jesus, right? Which means, frankly, that without Jesus, they have no hope, and they are destined for hell, okay? And we are completely ignoring that, right? I raised my hand, and I said just that, like... I'm trying to light a fire under my professor and my classmates. No fire was lit that day except inside of me. I knew in that moment that I had to move on and I needed to find a seminary where they cared more about reaching people who were far away from Jesus. And I did. I didn't even bother to like try to transfer any credits. I just started over. Again, this is precisely why outreach, evangelism, and missions are absolutely essential and core to the mission of the church, because our only hope is found in Jesus Christ, right? There is no other way by which we can be saved. There's no other cure for our sickness than Jesus' completed work on the cross at Calvary, It's also why the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is essential, okay? Because we cannot reach those people without his help. We need to be spirit-filled. We need to be spirit-led. We need to be spirit-empowered in order to fulfill our mission to make disciples, right? It's laid out in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? It is my prayer that life church would be a community of grace that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach and disciple people who are far away from Jesus, especially the lost, the last, and the least. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you made a way for us to be saved through your death and resurrection on the cross. Your word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Lord, may anyone hearing this message, hearing this prayer, um, if they didn't know it already, would would you make them realize that you, Lord Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. That there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if you're hearing this and you have not ever chosen to follow Jesus, uh, today could be the day of your salvation. If you're ready to draw the line in the sand and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, um, you can pray silently along with me this prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for making me and loving me even when I've ignored you, even when I've gone my own way. I need you in my life. I'm sorry for my sins and I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that you are the resurrected son of God. Lord, I wanna follow you from this day on. Please come into my life and make me a new person. Lord, restore me, heal me, and transform me into who you created me to be. I accept your gift of salvation. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to grow in Christ and fulfill your calling in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.